Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Alfonso Cuarón's new film, Gravity. And joining me in the Slate studio is Forrest Wickman, Slate contributor, browbeat writer. Thank you for coming. Uh, hey, Dana. And also John Swansburg, editorial director of Slate. Hey, Dana. Hey, Forrest. Hey, John. <laughs> oh, three-way conversation. Yeah, wow. yeah, this is actually the first time we've had three people on a spoiler in quite a while. So we all saw Gravity separately, and we've been trying to preserve our reaction for, for this moment. So now, here goes. I'm going to ask you both just quickly to give a reaction, and then we'll get into some, some spoilage. So, John, you first. What do you think? Um, I loved I loved this movie. Uh, Forrest and I actually saw it a little over a week ago, and... Uh, I have to say, I it really it stayed with me in a way. Like the the visceral experience of having seen it, I still like sort of have a tingle when I think about how excellent it was. Although the plot, uh, which we'll discuss in a moment, hasn't stuck with me as much. It's not really a movie about plot in a lot of ways. But I loved sitting in the theater watching this movie. It was probably the most uh, fun ninety minutes in the movies that I've had in a couple of years. Just purely fun. Yeah, I think I would have to agree. I mean, it's a strange combination with this movie that I would eagerly send people there. Basically, anyone who's even remotely interested in Alfonso Cuarón or Space or George Clooney or Sandra Bullock, I would say, <laughs> run and see Gravity. And yet, I don't think it's a masterpiece, and I want to get to, to why that is. But what about you, Forrest? Yeah, I agree. I think that the screenplay has some problems, but it was just, you know, at one point in the movie, they say something about how the next thing Bullock does is going to be one hell of a ride. And, and two of my notes were amusement park ride and wee. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, so I just thought it was a lot of fun and and one of the more transporting experiences frequently sort of beautiful like the shots of earth and the feeling of being in space um as well as terrifying and and one of the more transporting movies i've seen since like avatar so i think we should open up with talking about how it looks and feels this movie and this kind of sensory experience of being inside it and i think we should approach that through the first shot which in Quaron style is a incredibly long, yeah. kind of virtuoso long take, with the difference that because almost all the backgrounds in this movie, all the backgrounds, essentially everything except the actors' faces and a little bit of their bodies is being rendered in CGI, very elaborate CGI that doesn't look anything like the sci-fi CGI that we're used to. Anyway, so obviously that take means something different when it's all sort of happening inside a computer, but I think you could safely say that there's not a cut in this movie for the first 20 minutes or it's so? It's when she detaches is the first cut, and yeah, I think it's like... Oh, that makes sense. The she rumor gets early cut on was that it was cut. like 17 minutes, and that's what it felt like. Yeah. And so what do we see? Help me describe the trippy experience of those first 20 minutes. Uh, While describing the plot, folding that <laughs> yeah, in skillfully. It starts as well. with it this sort of fun, uh, sort of like very self-serious to an almost silly level um, message on the screen about space, how there's like no sound and it was not like never meant for human life or something. Life is impossible in space. That's the very last legend right, that you see before right, it starts. Right. And then and then we sort of cut from that to George Clooney admiring, I don't know, Earth or the sunrise or something. So we meet him, he plays uh, an astronaut named Matt Kowalski, I think it is. Uh, and then there's uh, Ryan Stone, who's sort of an engineer in space, who's played by uh, Sandra Bullock. And she's fixing what none of us could remember what it was exactly. We were just talking about this, but I guess it was the Hubble telescope. All of this becomes very insignificant because while she's fixing it, uh, some space debris suddenly comes hurtling towards them, and that's when sort of everything starts flying uh, in various directions in total chaos. Right. And then Sandra Bullock detaches and flies off into space. And that's that's everything you've seen in the trailer, which, uh, you know, I've sat in some theaters where people are like, whoa, was that the end of the movie? Like, where could the movie go from here? Um, I actually was, like, so ignorant. I, I wanted to be surprised by what happened in this film, and I didn't know if what came next after the debris wrecked 
the space shuttle and sort of sent Bullock spinning out into space, like whether she was going to meet some aliens or, yeah. or like, you know, like, like exactly. <laughs> because th- it happens pretty early in the movie, right? Right, right. after the twenty minute shot, so about twenty minutes in, and she's hurtling through, through space for quite a long time, so long that I would love a physicist to tell me whether she, in fact, would have spun too far away from the ship to possibly be savable. Of course, that's presuming that we have jetpacks that George Clooney can jet around right. space on. Right. Yeah, I would say the, the the effect of the trailer is sort of immediately ruined when the movie starts and George Clooney has a jetpack, and you're like, oh. That's how they get Sandra Bullock back. <laughs> right, he jetpacks over to her. And but there's something her. so funny to go back for for a minute into that 20 mm-hmm. minute shot about the moment you first see Clooney because you don't actually see him first. You see, you know, this really wide, amazingly spinning kind of shot where basically the world is moving around the actors. Yeah. Right, you sort of feel like you're orbiting around them, and you see Sandra Bullock fixing this thing from afar, and kind of the you know stars against the background. And at a certain point in this stationary shot, comes Scoot, 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 like this little <laughs> figure. Yeah. And just the moment that you realize it's George Clooney, both because it's his familiar, you know, yeah. swap mellow voice in space and then just his face behind the visor it was just really funny and charming to me just George Clooney in space that in itself is, is a good thing and he's basically playing like the George Clooney of astronauts like he's this astronaut yeah, who's he's on Danny his, like, Ocean in space right, right yeah exactly he's on his like umpteenth trip he's he's annoyed because he's gonna come he's he's a veteran and I think it's been decided it's his last trip to space and he's just <laughs> shy he's like six hours shy of breaking someone's record for like the most so it's like the time. cop movie the cop movie of one last right. job or yeah whatever. exactly and so he's annoyed he like he's complaining back to Mission Control which is voiced by uh, Ed Harris. You know, like, why couldn't we stay up here longer? I could have I beat that guy. And he's sort of listening to country music over his PA and just jabbering on about his past experiences. And he's just incredibly charming and Clooney-ish. Yeah. But in, but in space. Right. And yeah. I think that he, the casting of George Clooney is the only reason that that character works at all. Because when, like, when everything goes down, that character continues to just be incredibly calm and suave and under control which is just I don't know astronauts are amazing so maybe that's how they would really be but it was very hard it would be hard for me to picture and relate to if it was anybody but George Clooney and because it was it was like oh of course he's calm because he's George Clooney right (laughs) space has no effect on Clooney (laughs) (laughs) Clooney at zero gravity is Clooney so as long as we're spoiling let's talk about what happens we don't have to get into every detail but there's a lot that happens that could not be talked about in a review, which is really mm-hmm. why I'm glad we're spoiling this movie on this podcast, after she spins out into space. So she spins out for a very long time. Then chug, chug, along comes George Clooney in his backpack. And then how does it come to be that she is isolated in a Soyuz trying to fly it back to Earth? Yeah. So Clooney <laughs> sort of tows her back to, I guess they go to the International Space space Station. Well, Those... first they go back to their own ship and realize that everyone right. has died okay. in a really so eerie, ruined. really eerie right. part, right? Yeah, there is a third astronaut um, who is killed. Very and also a couple swiftly. that were inside the, sh- the, the shuttle, oh, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Who think... sort of come out. It's like, the, did anyone else think it was a Jaws homage, maybe? There's that part where they, it's one of the like most famous scares in Jaws, where they go into the, the dead ship. And because of that Jaws scene, I was just waiting for it. I was like, some dead person's head's going to pop yeah, up. Yeah, that, that's right just enough. kind of a horror there movie classic, right? There yeah. has to be some corpse that bobs into view but just the idea of like dying in space is just really horrifying yeah. well the shot we get that one close up shot of the other astronaut who's out on the walk and he's gotten a piece of debris that's gone uh. right through his face and there's just like a debris shaped hole where his face used to be it's it's quite it's in the, one of the only gory moments I think the only gory yeah. moment in the whole movie because uh, yeah, well, I guess the bloated you know dead people are kind of gory too but that right. one was like you know man with hole instead of face was pretty yeah it, it, it gets across that sense that space is not the place <laughs> to be right. you know for it's not a place to George sustain Clooney. human right. life unless you're Clooney uh, we should add that uh, so after they go to the um, go back to the ship and find that everyone's dead and the ship is disabled and also that they've, they've lost communication with Houston 
they Ed need Harris, to, we should say. With Ed Harris. Played by Ed Harris, who, <laughs> right. who plays Mission Control in every space movie. Right. He, is, <laughs> yeah, he, is a, uh, he signed 13. a lifetime, lifetime yeah. agreement to be every uh, Mission Control in every movie. Um, so then, then they need to proceed to the International Space Station to see if they could get on one of the escape pods known as a Soyuz. But the thing that kind of gives the movie extra um, kind of momentum is that the band of space debris, which was created when the Russians blew up uh, a satellite that was, I guess, no longer needed, um, is now in orbit. And so it's like it already cut through them, but it's about to you know come back around. So they only have, I guess, what is it, 90 minutes or something like that? Something like that. 30 minutes, maybe even less, um, to get to the space station, get on that escape pod and get out of there before they're going to get cut to pieces again. Yeah, right. and that's a really effective, whether or not it, it makes any sense again with the laws of gravity, I have no idea, but that's a great kind of plot point, right? Because it, ma- it means that you have a danger that's coming at a known time that you can pinpoint, and then in between you can do all this stuff with isolation and silence. So it's sort of this movie does alternate really effectively, I think, between you know moments of kind of silence and contemplativeness and inwardness and then just scary as hell action sequences. Right. So um, let's get to the big spoiler, the thing that I really can't reveal in a review, which is the fate of the Clooney character, Matt Kowalski. Uh, what did you guys think of that? So what, essentially, uh, we're about maybe a little bit more than half an hour into the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Right about at the Janet Lee point in Psycho, right. <laughs> and George Clooney disappears. He sacrifices himself. Right. And, spoiler alert, I mean, which I really held on to the end of the movie, the idea that he might somehow reappear or she'd go rescue him, but... That's it. He just floats off into space with his, his jetpack forever. Right. It seemed a little bit like Leo DiCaprio at the end of Titanic. Like, couldn't he have found some way around? I don't know. He just found so many workarounds for, for, for Sandra. I'm not quite sure why he sacrificed himself so early. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, he, he's so um, sure of himself and so sure-footed, if, you, if one can be sure-footed in uh, space, and kind of figures out everything. And they get finally to the International Space Station and then... They just have this kind of hard landing on the exterior of the space station, and then they bounce around a little bit, and then at a certain point, Clooney, it, it, they sort of the movie contrives to make it so that the only way that Sandra Bullock can survive right. is if she lets go of Clooney, who's sort of like they're holding holding hands, and he's being dragged off into space by the force of his momentum, and she's sort of you know holding onto the space station with her foot, which is wrapped around a ribbon, which was attached to a parachute, which was ta- attached to a you know previously deployed Soyuz, and. and and he sort of says, well, it's either I let go and float off into space or we both die. And so she lets go or he, he sort of lets go, contrives to let go. And uh, that's the last we see of him. We kind of hear him t- talking a little bit over the radio as he floats away. And uh, but that's it, yeah. And then he's he's just gone, which is kind except, of a bummer. Except for the dream sequence, except which we should discuss. <laughs> and then that will actually segue nicely into the last thing I want to talk about, um, which is what we I think all felt were some of the script flaws and kind of thematic flaws of the of the second half. So he he does reappear very very close to the end after she's as Forrest pointed out bounced between several different pods and spacecraft from different countries. Right? She basically is kind of making her way around this small sector of space, you know, on like spit and a shoestring. <laughs> Right. She has right. she has nothing, but she's sort of finding her way into these abandoned crafts and trying to use them as best she can. And just when you really think that her goose is cooked, right? She's in what well, she's running out of oxygen, I guess. She's just running out of oxygen in the Chinese pod at that point. I think she's I running think out she, of time before the before the debris comes back. Yeah. So she sort of decides decides to just let herself. That's die. right. She, she lowers the oxygen, oxygen off. herself. Yeah. yeah. Right. And at that moment, as she's basically passing out, right? You see George Clooney, chug chug, come back in his jetpack get in through the window and for a glorious moment you kind of think he's somehow impossibly made it back and then you realize that he's a dream he's just talking her through 
um, essentially giving her inspiration to go on mm-hmm. living and also talking her through how she would operate this board with all these buttons in Chinese. Um, so what did you guys think of both the, re- the return, the imaginary return of Clooney, and how that fits into the movie's theme, which we haven't really gotten to, but about, you know, rebirth and survival? I think one is always happy to see George Clooney come back. Um, I, was, I was, you know, momentarily confused. I... I, I Part of my part of me thought this can't be really happening, but who knows? Maybe you know Kowalski is such a skilled astronaut that he has figured out a way to come back. Um, I was a little annoyed when it was revealed that it was a dream sequence, not because I didn't think it plausible that she might, as she was passing out, you know, dream of of George Clooney, because who among us hasn't dreamt of George Clooney as they were falling asleep? Or, uh, but um, I was annoyed that like he somehow appeared to her and like told her how to operate a Chinese escape pod. <laughs> it's like so like that knowledge was somehow in her of subconscious, you know, and and that, that well, very like, helpfully there were instructions at least, which I have no idea. I did read there was some some fact check online, and it did say that. Uh, it it's, was sort of unlikely that anybody would be able to fly all these different kinds of spacecrafts. That they're sufficiently different, right? That it would be so. The fact, yeah, the fact that like her ability to operate this spacecraft was contingent upon a helpful tip from a a dream born George Clooney seems sort of lame to me. Um, but generally, I thought you know the sequence is is very charming, and and uh, you know Clooney gets to be Clooney for another few minutes, so that was kind of pleasant. But in terms of the rebirth thing, I feel like. The as you intimated, Dana, like the the plot with well, a sort of backstory of who Ryan Stone is, um, is sort of kind of hastily sketched and a little bit broad uh, at the same time, and uh, that part didn't really work for me. I don't know, Forrest, do you want to? I I mean, I like. I agree that it was very broad. I like um, what the message was, which which was basically they took you know in that opening message at the beginning of the movie where they say no, there's no, no life can exist in space or whatever. You you had it right. Um, uh, that's sort of like the alien point of view on space, where just like everything is brutal and you can't survive. And then this which movie is the, which combines is... it with like, but space is also really beautiful. Right. And then it tries to sort of resolve those things. And it, it's also sort of, you know, about uh, her life on Earth as well, because we learned that she's had this kid, but then he died in some incredibly random accident that is maybe. She, it was a girl, it was right? A daughter. It was a girl. She, okay. Yeah. And so, so she has to come to terms with that and let go, which is part of why you get extra weight when George Clooney's like, you have to learn to let go. But, and I think that was actually my biggest problem was just the execution of it, which was lines like that. And then another line George Clooney gives when he says, uh, you have to get your feet back on the ground. And then sure enough, at the end of the movie, not only does, uh, just to skip to spoiling the ending, um, to the extent it's a spoiler, you know, she she goes back through the atmosphere in this uh, Chinese escape pod and she lands on Earth and then she crawls out of the water that she's landed in. And then the last shot is she gets up on her two feet on the ground again. Right. And it's kind of learning to walk again the way you yeah. do when you come back from space. So it's kind right. of like baby steps. I mean, I honestly think that that whole rebirth theme in the second half could have, I think it was like four individual lines of dialogue away from being great. It was just like it was punched a little bit too hard. There were too many moments that Clooney or somebody, some sort of theme had to return to, you know, the fact that essentially she had to work through her grief. It was a little bit chicken soup for the soul in the space pod. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And also, like, just the... 
the details of this, like the specifics of, of the narrative, were kind of annoying. Like as for as Forrest uh, alluded to, the death of her daughter was in, in this incredibly random event. If I remember correctly, the daughter's like running ar- like a- across a playground and trips and falls trips, and dies. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that happens more often than I know. Maybe maybe America's playgrounds are death traps and like <laughs> kids are dying every day from you know uh, being concussed by a seesaw. But I you know I just gravity man, it's gravity <laughs> is the enemy in this movie. <laughs> right, gravity will get you on the planet Earth, it'll get you when you're in space. Um, I don't know, I felt like that was like a little on the nose, right? To have like have this child taken from her in this utterly random, uh, the universe is horrible kind of way, and then to sort of, you know, have that be the backdrop for being in space, where right. like, you know, nothing will save you, the, you know, the, there's just cold, oxygenless air, and uh, such is the state of the of the universe. I don't know, it felt like, you know, maybe, the, well, couldn't the kid have died of cancer? You know? Yeah. I think that might might have been better. That's funny. The method of death didn't bother me at all. But it was it was it had to do with just like we get it. Like a dead kid is sad. It doesn't need any embellishment. You know, you don't need to put any like frosting piping around that story. (laughs) And that moment when she talks to the dead George Clooney and says, like, say hi to my angel in heaven or something. That was just that was a bridge too far for me. But I will say, I mean, this is the cynic in me popping up later and finding holes in the script. I don't think the script is as profound as the visuals make it possible for this movie to be. And some of the ideas as well. I sort of love that there's this dialectic being played out in space between the humanist, George Clooney, you know, the guy who for whom life is possible in space and on Earth, you know, and Sandra Bullock, who seems to be this person for whom life wasn't really possible in either place before, you know. So, I mean, that is a really moving trajectory. And I actually did weep at the moment at the end when she, you know, rises up from the water in her arguably overly scanty... (laughs) and starts to walk on the surface of the earth again. So I forgave the movie, those sentimental excesses, but I did feel them. I feel the same way. I felt like the cheesiness only was the only thing I really thought about ex post facto. You know, when Forrest and I took the subway back home together afterwards, we started sort of nitpicking and talking about, sort oh, that was kind of cheesy, that was a little heavy-handed. But when I was sitting there in the movie theater... You know, I was registering a little bit when they would put to find a point on something. But for the most part, I'm just like, this is awesome. I really hope she makes it to the next space station. I hope she doesn't blow up as she reenters the uh, atmosphere. I hope she lands in the water and not on a you know parking lot. <laughs> you right. Know, like, yeah. I was, like, You're just really for the whole her. time and just like completely immersed. And, you know, the cheesiness does, did not affect me. It worked for me in the in the moment. And I think you're right. Like my, my cynic is also popping up uh, a week later to to, you know, um, complain a little bit but ultimately in the movie I think you'll you'll be along for the ride yeah I mean I think when you're watching the movie there's just no time to think all you're thinking about is like oh man is are her fingers going to grasp that next you know the last safety line that she has to grab before she hurdles off into space again right and the form and also so, takes up a lot of you yeah. know, it's just so visually dazzling right. and there's so many unexpected moments it doesn't feel like any other science fiction epic I can think of and I can't really it's really experiential you kind of have to just see it to see how that is well that's one of the things I like most about this movie is like if you think about it in comparison to something like Transformers or the Avengers where like it, they're these big tentpole blockbusters where the idea is they're going to provide a thrill by positing that there are giant robots that can transform into cars or there are sort of people with superhuman talents uh, and then you take this you compare it to this movie where really the excitement is is she going to be able to open that hatch? Right. Like, like, that was the, that's the drama, right? It's like, is she going to be able to figure out which button sequence like launches this pod? This pod? And it really, it's like, it's set in space, so it feels obviously uh, supernatural in a way. But in fact, it's like, it's, it feels also realistic. It's set in like our space present. And I'm sure the movie took some liberties with what, uh, you know, this International Space Station is actu- actually like and what it's like to actually do it, be on a spacewalk. But it feels like this is happening in our universe. And the concerns and the drama 
drama in some ways are so mundane, but that only makes them that much more gripping, I feel like, when you're watching the movie. And that's like that's an incredible accomplishment by Quaron, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it restores the mystery to space itself. It's like right. we don't need yeah. giant flying robots for it to be amazing and cool and frightening and weird that these things are happening in space. Right. Dana, since you mentioned her space skivvies, we should, we should briefly <laughs> note briefly. that... <laughs> when an astronaut strips out their suit, strips off their suit, I guess they have like a much more elaborate getup that's underneath that is not quite so scanty. Though it's oh, not. Is there, it's is not there, really is there much rooting this about the on the most, internet right now? Oh, I just it was just in this uh, post on on Time, and um, so only one person brooding, as far as I can tell. But um, the one probably more notable thing is, I guess they like they would she would have had a space diaper on like an adult diaper <laughs> which is it's a little easy to see how that could ruin the moment and just that be one beautiful shot, you know the shot where she's floating in front of the yeah, airlock she, and they're rotating in opposite directions of, that would just be ruined by a imagery. diaper she goes sort of like into it like in like a fetus on that yeah right? it's, it's, it's a great about. shot it's yeah. and that for example when we're talking about the rebirth theme that shot said it all there really did not yeah. need to be very much dialogue about motherhood and maternity and rebirth and yeah. survival you know because that sort of fetal position shot in front of the round door kind of said it all but a space diaper would completely have ruined it yeah and also the the shorts that she's wearing, the sort of spandex shorts. Yeah, they're, they're like not, biker shorts. They're like biker shorts. They're not. She's not like wearing a thong. She's not wearing you know like frilly lace underwear. She's wearing something that looks like. I feel like I've seen you know women running around New York City in things like in like shorts, sort of like totally. that. Yeah, yeah. And maybe this is a moment to talk about the the casting of Sandra Bullock. I I, I mean I I think it's great that they cast a, a woman in this role that might more often go to you know, a male action star or something. And I've, you know, heard griping from people who don't like Sandra Bullock. But she, I think she's great for this kind of role. I mean, it's sort of like a speed kind of thing. And yeah, she's good at it. She's speed. charming and she's really relatable and very down to earth. No pun intended. <laughs> there should be a movie every Spoiler. 20 years where she has to craft, she has to propel some craft really fast. <laughs> right. I agree. I think she was great. And I think to your earlier point, Forrest, I sort of can't imagine this movie working without her or Clooney. Like it's it's so yeah. good, but it, their star power and their talents are are called upon uh, in every scene. I mean, there there is not, there really aren't any other people in this movie besides the disembodied voice of Ed Harris. Yeah. So it's it's a not a difficult. I mean, it's not an easy um, role to pull off. And I, I'm not quite sure who I would cast instead of Sandra Bullock. Yeah, I would basically say that I thought she was borderline virtuosic. I mean, it's a pretty hard role to pull off. She's even more alone than Sigourney Weaver was in, in Alien mm-hmm. for more of the movie, you know, and uh, and she has a lot. She has a lot on her shoulders. I think she she was great. And there's no alien, right? Like she's not even there's nothing to play against. It's like she's playing against the sort of unforgiving the void, the void yeah. right? And that's hard. I think that's harder. Yeah, it's like Castaway or 127 Hours or something. Right. Both of which roles got those actors Oscars. Speaking of Oscars, I just have to say that if Emmanuel Lubezki doesn't get an yeah. Oscar for this, there's truly, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm done railing against Oscars, but he's been Cuaron's cinematographer forever, and mm-hmm. he's just a magician. I mean, the stuff that he achieves in Children of Men and in this. And, and in, in Terrence Malick in movies, Ter- too, Malick movies, Tree of Life well. and To the Wonder. Oh, Tree of Life, oh my God, just the look of those movies. Yeah. They, they, he, they, he creates completely his own visual language and just, he works with directors in some amazing way. I would love to hear the, the meetings where they decide what something should look like, because every thing he creates just has its own kind of visual life and this movie uses 3d very well also um oh the tears yeah, coming at you did you guys like that, that? <laughs> i did i mean you know it kind of you know it's like a little cheesy but uh, two tears would have done it there didn't yeah. need to be like six <laughs> yeah and then at one point one kind of like lands yeah, it's, on it's the, the lens it's the I lens think. that's uh, a, that i didn't like. and, and it has a reflection in it that was yeah. a little bit too much like right. a, the way like a sunglasses in an 80s action movie would have a fireball <laughs> reflected in them right that felt like gilly the lily a little bit like i liked that they were 
they were coming at me, but then to have them hit the lens, it's sort of, if you stop and think about that, it's like, it takes you out of the moment a little bit, because it's like, yeah. why is there a lens? You know, yeah. it should be just floating off You shouldn't off be reminded Pluto. that you're watching a movie yeah. for something as immersive <laughs> like as this. Yeah, right. I mean, it's funny that it may be a callback to Children of Man, it, during which, you know, in the longest shot of the entire movie, some blood hit the lens in the original, in the, in the middle of the shot, and somewhat famously, Quaron thought the entire shot was ruined, and I guess even called cut, uh, but nobody heard them, and so the entire thing continued, and then it was only afterwards that, you know, that they all, well, he had figured it out, but that they all figured it out, and then they digitally removed it. So, which is interesting, I think that's the right choice, is to, to remove it, especially when it's like, when it's CGI water, like, you have control. I just, I, <laughs> I didn't like that. But it's fine, I mean, I... Nitpicking, but otherwise, I thought this. The I mean, wh- whether or not you like the tears flying at you, I feel like the um, the 3D was well handled. It sort of it made you feel like you were up in space with these guys in this way. I mean, I, f- I felt like both exhilarated, but also like nauseated, but in the best possible way at certain points of this mm-hmm. movie. Like you, you sort of start to feel like you are in, you are helpless uh, along with them, in, in some ways, it's that immersive. Um, and I felt like it had this sort of visceral effect on me, which was. Unpleasant, but unpleasant in the way you go to a movie for you know to be like transported in that way and feel like you were in a you were somewhere other than a screening room on the east side. There's a suggestion from the very beginning actually that Sandra Bullock is going to throw up, right? Right, because yeah. she has space nausea at the beginning, and the whole first scene you can she acts it really well. She's kind of you know really not used to this kind of movement, but then as soon as the uh, the shower of space debris starts, she gets her space legs, I guess. But I spent the whole movie thinking somebody's going to throw up in a helmet, and it's going to be really <laughs> disgusting. Thankfully, that doesn't happen. The other thing we should maybe talk about with the 3D, which I agree was great. I think this is one of the best 3D movies I've seen. Like it, I think it goes next to Avatar and Life of Pi and those movies. Is there's a lot. The one exception to that, the kind of thing, the thing that I would normally not like that I thought really worked here was just all of the shit that comes at the camera. It's just constant space debris flying at you to the extent that I was flinching, flinching in my seat and like nearly holding up my hands to protect my eyes kind of thing um and i don't know i guess it's because the movie just felt like such a ride otherwise it didn't bother me or it felt so motivated because how could you not have space to be flying at the camera when it's flying in every possible direction Well, it's also because it was using like different planes of space so inventively that there wasn't that house of wax sense that there was just a foreground it wasn't so sudden right there were always things in every yeah Right. That's I mean, you, they're point. kind of the foreground and the background were always reversing each other, right? Because mm-hmm. there was kind of no polarity. And it did an amazing job at establishing that, I thought. All right. We should close this out. We could talk about gravity all day. But in sum, we would send people despite reservations. Yeah. I mean, I don't even really think I have that many reservations. It's just the, like, you know, like the, the plot nitpicking. But like I said before, I think the, the plot actually holds up in the moment. Agree? Yeah. This is one of the more memorable experiences I've had in the theater. And I think everybody should see it. All right. Well, let's have another one soon and talk about it. Yeah. Thank Hopefully for not in. one this good. Thank you all for coming in. Thanks. Thanks, Dana. All right. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.